Hello everybody and welcome to Nintendo Week for the end of week of July 22nd through July 31st at this point. Uh, I'm your host Colin McIsaac and as always I'm joined by Alex Plant. Not actually a plant. And Ben Lamoureux. What's going on everyone? We've had some scheduling issues this week so I apologize for the uh, short episode for the late episode. We've had to scramble to adjust our plans a couple times here at this point so sorry about that but right now today you're getting a news block. Ben is here for some of it, not here for some of it, just because I've had to cobble some stuff together. And then next week's episode, at the normal Nintendo Week time and everything, um, it's just going to be a discussion, not a news section. But then for the following episode, week 25, that's going to be all completely back to normal. But let's jump right in with the news! So first up, there's this new Smash Bros. update, new DLC coming. Uh, well, came, actually. You know, it's got a bunch of Me Fighter costumes, it's got uh, two new stages, the Hyrule Castle and Princess Peach stage from... Smash Bros. 64, uh, it's got tournament mode, and it's got um, YouTube, like, replay uploading. So, you know, we got some interesting characters. We got, like, a Honey Bear costume. We got Krom, uh, Lloyd from Tales of Symphonia, uh, the Black Knight from Fire Emblem. Um, it amuses me greatly uh, that the Honey Bear is, is a gunner. <laughs> yeah, I know, I really like that. Um, and there's also a Samus costume, like Samus armor to go with her outfit. There is uh, Flying Man from Earthbound, and the the really surprising one is a King K. Rule outfit. Yeah, so I, I, I'm sort of wondering at this point whether the some of the characters that are getting reflected in these costume updates are characters that have pulled well in the Smash poll, and that perhaps they will make characters for down the line, or, and, and this is the more pessimistic guess, that have pulled well, but that they don't want to make characters for, be- for whatever reason. For example, maybe they're not as popular in Japan as they are in the U.S. or something like that. Um, or on the flip side, uh, you know, they're popular in Japan, but not in worldwide yeah. territories. Like, they could, I imagine, maybe Lloyd pulled well in Japan, but... That's actually pretty likely, because Tails is still relevant over there. Yeah, so the, the, the strange thing about the costumes is, you know, of course, earlier in the week, they trademarked King Cave Rule, um... Uh, you know, he's been doing phenomenally well on the Smash ballot, but then this costume came out, and people were assuming that it meant, you know, Sakurai is just sort of throwing a bone to, um, you know, fans before they become extremely disappointed to yeah. find out that he, he's not going to make it. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I think that it easily could be, you know, they see the polls, um, they see that he's doing well, and they decided to make him a DLC fighter, but in the meantime, while they develop him, here's this costume so that they can make a little bit of extra money off of the the uh, support, and that people don't have to wait so long to see that, you know, their voices have been heard. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I think... I don't think it's really a move that we can read into that much. I mean, I think it's an interesting move for the reasons we just discussed, but I, you know, I, at the same time, I think it's completely separate from uh, whether he would be included as a character. I don't think they've King K ruled him out. I just think they're capitalizing on the opportunity. Yeah, uh, I mean, I don't have an opinion one way or the other either as to what this means, but I think a lot of people have been looking at, you know, the way they've been approaching new content in, in the Smash Bros. games, and and thinking 
you know, they figured out kind of the rules Sakurai has in place for, for building new content. When pretty much mo- every rule that's that's been conceived so far has been shattered. Like, people thought for a long time right. there would never be more than one third-party character per company. And now we have two from Capcom, um, one of which was added after the game was released. People thought, you know, we'll never get Ryu because he's a fighting character. And fighting game characters don't get added to Smash Bros. And, you know, obviously Ryu is now in Smash Bros. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> And now there's this costumes rule that people seem to be assuming, which is that if a character gets a costume but aren't is not in the game, that means they won't be in the game. Uh, you know, I think that's that's a bit too much of a leap because we have gotten a lot of post-release costumes that have been tied to characters that are actually in the game. Um, so there really isn't an observable pattern yet, in particular because not all of the DLC has come out yet, so we really can't make any judgments. Yeah, because, you know, we saw... Uh when they revealed the Meta Knight mask, people thought that meant Meta Knight wasn't coming back, but then he came back, you know, at the end of the week. Yeah. They announced that. Yeah. Uh, exactly. You know, we got a Link costume. We now have a Samus costume. So I don't think, I mean, like, characters like Flying Men and the Black Knight, I don't think a costume is any indication that they could be coming in the future. But um, characters at least like King K. Rule, maybe like Lloyd and Krom, because, you know, Krom could be an easy reskin. Yeah. Those could have a little bit more weight to them. Yeah. And actually, now that I'm looking at it, um, the thumbnail for the, the trailer actually has Krom, King K. Rule, and Lloyd all in the same row, and all the less relevant costumes um, separated <laughs> from them. So, yeah, that is interesting. Don't uh, know if that's worth reading into. Yeah, and while you're mentioning Krom, it'd be interesting if they did reskins for other characters besides just me fighters. Um, well, yeah, I've been wanting them to, to add more skins for a while, and I'm surprised they haven't done that i would imagine that they would sell better than me fighter costumes a because nobody likes me fighters uh b because you can't use me fighters online so you know you can really only use the costumes in local play and in local play who wants to people don't really even like using the me fighters still right and then you know for the other characters you could do skins like daisy like mr l like dry bowser um, yeah. you know, there are a lot of opportunities for really cool stuff, uh, like the Ninja DDD from, from the Kirby's Adventure minigame. Uh, there are just so many cool things that you could do. Galactica Knight, um, that they don't. And, you know, for a game that's all about driving, you know, fan hype, uh, you look at something like Project M doing character skins and doing them really, really well. And, you know, saying, how is it that a team of fans can do something so simple that you would expect Nintendo should have understood a long time ago. And, you know, even today, Nintendo isn't, isn't capitalizing on that. Yeah. Speaking of which... Kenskin for Ryu. So, the two of us, I think, had a hard time yesterday finding the tournament mode. Yes. And yes, this will true. be disappointing to many of you, but tournament mode is now an online-only mode. You can only access it by connecting to Nintendo Network. Mm. Uh, you can only set up tournaments that can only be played online. There's no offline tournament mode option anymore, which yeah. is a massive disappointment given that I, I would imagine most people who want to play Smash Brothers tournaments want to play them offline with a bunch of friends over or want to play them in some kind of... I, I won't say competitive setting because competitive settings tend to use different rules for eliminations and stuff like that that probably won't be represented in any tournament mode ever. Well, but that's that's and that gets at another issue. The tournament modes need to have less standardized and rigid rule sets. They yeah. need to understand, you know, if if we want to set up something so that people can use this as a tournament, 
we should have them choose their own rules for said tournament. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I understand the value of making online an online tournament mode. So Naples didn't do things like community tournaments. Um, mm-hmm. and, and a lot of people really don't have access to all the people. Yeah. They we're going to have with. a great time with the online tournaments you yeah. know, for you guys, your li- you listeners, uh, for the greater Gamnesia community. But yeah. yeah, it's good. It's good for, for online communities and it's good for families who have, who have some distance, but for friends who just want to get together and smash and, and have some structure to it and, and not have to worry about, you know, organizing the, the tournament. Uh, it's a big, big blow because that's that. That was a lot of how I played melee in particular back when it came out. Was I would set mm-hmm. up you know massive tournaments with like ridiculously high level CPUs that even some of the some of the players were not skilled enough to fight, and it was just lots of mm-hmm. fun to kind of watch and see ah uh, that level nine peach got to the end, uh, <laughs> or right. you know we got all the. We we had this this running joke that the the level nine female characters were all like the most powerful. Anyway, um, it's it's gonna be a bummer that that's not gonna be a thing that people can really do anymore. Yeah, no, for real. I know we we gotta sort of blow through this, so we might want to wrap the Smash discussion up. Uh, at the end, would you recommend this DLC for people? Um, I recommend the retro stages definitely because those are. Uh... In particular, Hyrule Castle is just a great stage. It's it's large, mm-hmm. but it's not ridiculously yeah. large like Temple and and. You know, Newport City and and all these right. other large stages. Um, Palutena's Temple. Yeah, that's that's the one I was thinking of. Um, and then the the Mario sixty four ones just just Mario sixty four goodness, which has been missing from Smash Four. Um, yeah. Uh, plus, I like those. Are, those are probably my two favorite stages from uh, the original Smash Bros. So it's nice to see them make all it right. in. Cool. Yeah, I'm sort of with you. I would recommend the stages. You know, obviously, if you don't like those stages, don't buy them. Um, keep in mind they are just up versions of the originals, so they're not remodeled, they're not retextured. It, you can tell it was kind of a, a rush job. Yeah. Um, and they don't really have any new music. They have one new remix for each, which I kind of think they're pretty lame. And then they have just, you know, a heap of, like, retro, like, they have the original versions of, like, the Mario 2 overworld theme, the Mario 3 map theme or something. Uh, just all the, like, 8-bit or for... for Zelda, they have like Ocarina of Time, Hyrule Field, uh, Link to the Past, Hyrule Field, all in the original, uh, like 16, 64 bit, like kind of tracks. Um, Which I guess is fine for a retro stage, but. It's fine. Uh, It's missed opportunities, though. Right, exactly. You know, you can tell that they didn't put as much work into it that they put into other stages. Other, You can tell it was just sort of how can we make money? Um, so yeah, I would recommend if you like them, buy them. Same deal for the costumes. If you like them, buy them, but I can't recommend, you know, buying like the whole bundle, um, unless you, you know, really want to make sure that it's all complete. Or alternatively, alternatively, you really want to part with $15. <laughs> I just have no idea what to do with this. Nintendo of America Vice President Scott Moffat was interviewed recently, and he touched on two big Nintendo franchises, Zelda and Metroid. Uh, we know that Zelda was delayed so that it could be, in producer Eiji Onuma's words, the ultimate and most complete Zelda game. Um, at the same time, also very recently, Nintendo released a list of games that are coming out in 2016, and Zelda U had been pushed from TBD 2016 to just a flat TBD. So a lot of people are wondering if this is a second delay, um, I think they're just saving face a little bit, but, uh, Scott Moffat elaborated on Onuma's comments, stating that fans deserve a game that will launch, quote, when it's ready, when it's fully featured, and when it can live up to what we would like to deliver. Yeah, it's interesting to see that he's saying fully featured, because that's not really a term we really hear Nintendo say a lot. 
and it suggests that this game is going to be a feature-rich game, which is not something we would have... I mean, it's something we would have imagined for it, but it's not something we would have guessed based on what we saw in the previous footage. It seemed like a very feature-simplistic game where the, a lot of the improvements are in refinements to the existing experience, and we only saw a handful of items, for example. The horseback stuff was pretty rudimentary. It didn't seem like something where the, the feature set was going to be especially large, maybe outside of right. the map and outside of adding new exploration elements. Right. Um so I, I guess it's good that, that they're saying that the idea is to make it more feature-rich because that means they're going to be adding a lot of that stuff that we just weren't seeing in those previous the previous footage uh, from a gameplay perspective. I'm also a little disappointed in the way the games media has handled the whole Zelda U being listed as TBD because TBD doesn't mean anything about the actual expected release period outside of that they haven't announced anything yet. Right, nor does it mean anything about... about. Well, it means that they have not determined it themselves yet. TBA means they ha- they are planning on a specific time and haven't announced it. TBD means that they don't know. Well, have they list... I don't think... I don't know if they've ever listed anything as TBA versus TBD. I think it's always been the same, hasn't it? Perhaps not. That's something I'd need to look into, you know, more, more records. Because in the past, we've had titles that have been kind of expected to release at a certain period of time, but haven't ever been given... A, t- a time window and they've always been listed the same way um, yeah that could be and some of them can wind up coming out within six months and some of them wind up coming out a year and a half down the line like there's no pattern behind it um, especially since we've only gotten a look into the first half of 2016 anyway there's nothing at all i think we can glean from that listing yeah and yet we have a bunch of people reporting oh zelda wii u might not make 2016 as if it's some kind of fact that right. they've that they've weaseled out of this thing Uh, As for the future of Metroid, Moffat says that it's up to developers to, quote, decide how best to create new and different experiences. Uh, And he says that fans should be happy with Federation Force in the meantime. So, I mean, I'm all for Nintendo trying to freshen up their IP. I think it's great that they want to keep things from from getting stale. But as we noticed at E3, it, it seems like they're freshening up things in a way that fans didn't really ask for. And you know we've we've harped on Federation Force you know plenty in the past, and I don't I don't think it's looks like a bad game. I just think it was a poor decision to slap the Metroid brand on it. But um, in particular with Metroid, the problem in recent years has been that that fans aren't happy with the way they've experimented with it. You know they brought in Team Ninja and made a lot of changes for Metroid Other M, and it didn't really sit well. And then you know early looks at Federation Force, fans have been a little bit unhappy and you know there's there's two like sort of back to basic formulas that that metroid has for the 2d side scroller and then the, you know the prime style so nintendo has two very very proven formulas that have gotten great reviews and have sold well and that i don't necessarily think fans are really tired of but they they really seem hell-bent on experimenting and, and trying new things mm-hmm. and you know I, th- I think i think most fans would be happier if they just kind of went back to either one of those two established styles and you know maybe added in some features threw in some twists but if metroid returned to form at its core i think fans would be a lot happier than to hear nintendo you know talk about trying new things again well right it's one thing to try new things constantly in mario and zelda it's another thing entirely to try new things in a franchise like metroid which uh every game is so far between that you know people never really get tired of it they're always wanting a new one because you know it's there there is no franchise fatigue they don't need to refresh it and it's just such a dedicated like niche audience you know it's it's not like mario where you got you know millions of players with you know a wide range of interests interests with a wide range of uh, a wide range of interests so you can kind of you know experiment around and it's more about just slapping the mario brand on it 
Now, this is Metroid. Metroid fans, they, they for the most part, they know what they want, and they're a, a small right. but very vocal group. Having kind of let this the idea of this game stew a while, um, I'm going to come at it from a little bit of a different perspective. So I can actually see how a game like Metroid Federation Force uh, is a good way to build on what they've done with Metroid Prime, which lots of people obviously loved, while doing something new and interesting to kind of expand the audience, um, like adding co-op. Um, that's not something you could have done with a traditional Metroid Prime game. You know, one with Samus as the protagonist, where you're, uh, it's this isolated adventure. Like that wouldn't have co-op wouldn't have worked in that kind of uh, in that kind of game. But you know, it's been so long since Metroid Prime Three that uh, you know fans want another one of those traditional Samus adventures. This isn't like this game came out you know a year after Metroid Prime Three, and it was a way to fill the gap before the next Metroid game. It was. There's a game that's coming out after a Metroid drought. Right. Uh, and, you know, fans are seeing this game that looks like a quick and dirty, half-baked spinoff. You know, I don't think the, the problem is so much the differences in gameplay. The problem is that this this is... The timing uh, is This is what we're problem. getting after five years. It'd be fine if this were, like, a companion game to some other game that's coming mm-hmm. out. Kind of like the Avengers comparison that we've heard them make, uh, where it's just part of an ever-evolving uh, franchise, but that's not how it's... That's not how it's been timed. That's not how it's prior to that. Other than that quote, that's not how it's been positioned. It's just this kind of island in the barrenless sea of no Metroid game. <laughs> Dave and Busters will hold location tests for Pokémon Tournament in the U.S., which means one big thing. Pokémon Tournament is coming to the U.S. It's going to be a slow rollout, of course, because all we have confirmed for now is a location test exclusively at Dave and Busters. Um... And those location tests may not incentivize Nintendo or the Pokemon company to give it a full launch, but at least it is coming. Yeah, and you know, the arcade scene just isn't anywhere near uh, what it is in Japan and America, Mm -hmm. so I imagine if we do get a a release, it's going to have to be the Pokemon company deciding that it's worth porting it to Wii U. Or NX. Oh, or NX, yeah. I think think it would be much better served as an NX launch title. than. Yeah, strategically, I think that'd be a great move. Uh, you know, because we know it's designed for Pokemon fans. We know, you know, it, it would be a great draw to the NX, especially, you know, uh, a more hardcore fighting game to have at the launch of the system would be, good, yeah. you know, to appeal to a broader audience, even if the theme of it is Pokemon. Yeah, I mean, pair that with Smash Bros early on at launch, you know, maybe a port of Smash 4. Mm-hmm. Championship edition. Yeah, and then you have NX positioned as a competitive fighting community console. Splatoon's huge August update that Nintendo promised has been fully detailed, and man, there is a ton of content. We've got two new weapon types, 40 pieces of gear, team matchmaking is coming, so you can play with your friends in private lobbies with customizable rule sets and stuff. Um, If you want the full details, you can check it out at Gamnesia.com, there's just too much to go over here. Uh, But man, really exciting, huge expansion to the game. There, there are still going to be more updates happening on a regular basis for the rest of the summer and fall. And as always, it's totally free. So this all comes out on August 5th for North America and August 6th for Japan and Europe. Just like all the other updates, though, it's launching at the same time worldwide. The, the difference in the date is just because of time zones. Best part of the news, for me anyway, is you can host a tournament where you hook up eight Wii U consoles and have them all play together over a single internet connection. About as close as we'll probably get to land play, but that's still <laughs> a really interesting and, and, in my opinion, positive move. I mean, I personally probably won't be able to get eight together, maybe four, but you can do fewer than eight uh, 
players in private lobbies, so that'll... that'll well, here's my question for you, though, Alex. If Smash Wii U has trouble running one console on one Wi-Fi connection, will it really work so well, hooking up eight consoles to one Wi-Fi connection for Splatoon? I don't know. I hope, but... So can I just say that I'm a little bitter that Splatoon is getting team matchmaking before Smash Bros. gets uh, tournament mode? <laughs> nah, yeah. that's, that's fair to be bitter about. Yeah, especially since they didn't even announce it until way after they announced uh, tournament mode for Smash. Mm-hmm. Yeah, wait, they announced tournament mode That was last during the, like, August? 50 facts or whatever, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Uh, wow. Yeah. I, so I guess that was October, but still. That's, I mean, like, that's almost a year later. Way too long. Yeah. Uh, it's also worth noting that the Urchin Underpass stage for Splatoon will be closed for maintenance from August 3rd to August 5th, meaning that for those two days leading up to the update, uh, it won't be part of the online rotation. Uh, what exactly that means is kind of unclear, but I think it's a safe assumption that they're going to be tweaking this stage a little bit. Uh, they actually released what looks like a sort of design document for the map where they've shown that they're going to, for example, widen the uh, entry points into the center area. Uh, cutting off one of the so i'm going to kind of get into the details but there is a there's when you go into the center area you can be uh pincer attacked from one of two corners heading into the area uh so it looks like they're cutting that down so it'll be harder to get ambushed and some other changes but i don't really remember what they are off the top of my head yeah i think it's good to see nintendo really giving this game the kind of support that an online game needs you know not just only releasing regular free content which is awesome you know to keep players soaked but them also, going back and, you know, paying attention to how levels play and how, how fans appreciate them or what fans don't like about them and tweaking it to make it a better overall experience. So that's that's a, a level of dedication to on pl- online play that we don't frequently see from Nintendo. Yeah, for sure. Famitsu ran a poll of Splatoon players in Japan and found some interesting statistics, but a few things really stood out. For one, only 29% of players polled regularly played shooters, which means for a lot of them, Splatoon is their introduction into the genre. Meanwhile, a whopping 73% of all polled players use the Inkling Girl as their avatar rather than the Inkling Boy. This divide in popularity is interesting too because we also learned that Splatoon's Inklings were originally all going to be female, but later in development they decided to add the Inkling Boy. So they designed the girl as their big mascot, which, you know, you can kind of tell given all the promotional art and stuff featuring the Inkling Girl. Uh, And then the boy was a derivative character design, sort of as an afterthought. It's interesting uh, that they've said they added the girl specifically to appeal to overseas audiences. Because uh, for those of you who don't know a bunch about Japanese gaming culture, the market for gaming devices has been shrinking dramatically. We talk about this all the time uh, as gamers are switching to mobile. And in particular, it's a lot of female gamers are overwhelmingly mobile players, which for the dedicated gaming market means that it's overwhelmingly male consumers at this point. Uh, so this is why for games that only release in Japan, you'll so often see, the, I guess we'll call them waifu games with lots of female characters <laughs> that cater specifically to male fantasies. Uh, so it's it's interesting to see a Japanese game where a female character is taking the center stage but isn't being sexualized in any way. Yeah, and I think it's uh, it's surprising to me, but also just really great for Nintendo that only 29% were people that regularly played shooters. In a way, it's not too surprising, just because you know it's it's Nintendo platform. Nintendo doesn't get a lot of shooters, but even so, you know it's that's that's great to know that so many people for them this will be their first shooter because I know that was that was Nintendo's goal in a way was to sort of take that style of gameplay and you know 
uh, make it more make accessible, it a more commonplace. Yeah. yeah, especially to their to their audience. So, right. and you know, I wonder if you know Nintendo maybe uh, will build off this, and we could see another first party game that you know maybe is a little more complex of a shooter or a shooter aimed at you know older audiences. And and if so, I think Splatoon could be used as sort of a gateway to introduce Nintendo fans to more shooter based gameplay. We have that, or it's even like Metro. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> yeah. There you go, Nintendo. Splatoon is the perfect way to pave the way for Metroid. Yeah, in case you haven't <laughs> picked up the hint, Nintendo, go back to Metroid Prime style. Yeah, at least Metroid for a starter. Edition. And then build yeah. up your Metroid fan base again, <laughs> and then you can make a 2D game, and then build up your Metroid mm-hmm. fan base some more. Seems, sounds like a good idea to me. Three Kirby games are now available on the Wii U Virtual Console in North America. That's Kirby's Return to Dreamland for Wii, Kirby 64 for I wonder what console, and Kirby Squeak Squad for Nintendo DS. Having not really played a lot of Kirby games, but having actually only really owned physically a copy of uh, 64 back in the day, uh, I picked that up. I want to experience it again. It's a lot easier than I remember it being, which I guess it's a Kirby game, so I should have expected that. But I also wanted to pick up uh, Return to Dreamland, which I never got to to pick up on Wii and uh, is actually really hard to find these days. So I'm glad they released it digitally. This is this is exactly how they should be treating uh, Wii releases. They should be finding those old obscure games, which is this is what's been happening overseas. Finding them and releasing them in a way that people can access them today. Uh, I think we right. got games like Pandora's Tower over in Europe. Yep. There's just a lot of games that people missed out on that that deserve this kind of re-release besides, you know, Super Mario Galaxy 2, which I don't think anyone had a hard time finding if they were right i mean it made sense for the metroid prime trilogy it made some sense for punch out um but this makes the fourth wii game that they've released in north america and we've talked about you know we've talked about it before that that's ridiculous but it's been like five or six months since they yeah yeah. but at least they're releasing a new wii game for you know the wii u shop so maybe we'll see more of that in the future yeah and i have no problem with these like large themed special event releases where they just dump a bunch of games at once it's just oh yeah we need the games that don't make sense for that kind of model to fall in between, and that's not been happening. Super Mario Maker will have 99 amiibo costumes, which can also be unlocked through normal gameplay. So, you know, you you can get these costumes if you scan your amiibo, but you can also... I forget exactly what the unlock conditions for these things are. Um, It's like there are special challenges, I believe, that you can complete, and then at the end of a challenge, you'll get the amiibo costume as a reward. Uh, Good move, because no one's going to collect a 99 amiibo. I mean, some people will, (laughs) like five of them. But yeah, the, no, this is good news. Um, it's it's a way to, to use Amiibo in a constructive toys-to-life way, but not gate content behind them, um, right. which is, I think, what everyone wanted from Amiibo in the first place. Right. The the really surprising thing to me was 99, which, which you know, that's got to be... There are the Smash characters, which is going to bring it up to, like, 55 or something like that. Uh, but the Super Mario series, the only one they can use from that is Toad, because all the others already have, you know... Yeah, they're already representation in Smash. from Smash. Yeah, um, they could maybe do the Splatoon ones, uh, and they could they could probably do the Animal Crossing round. But uh, I think that like, the Animal Crossing round is I think confirmed, too. isn't it? And then Isabella's confirmed. The rest are not. Okay, um, and a Chibi Robo's confirmed as well. Which I, oh, is it? Yeah, apparently. Awesome. Uh, well, yeah. So then maybe like the eight bit Mario. I don't know what else there is. Yeah, it's, it's either got to be filled up with unconfirmed content like maybe a pokemon line or amiibo cards which would all just be random animal crossing villagers yeah um i'm most excited to play as inklings i know mm-hmm. some people are, are are sort of drooling at the prospect of having sonic in a mario game um 
like it, it, it's it's sort of fun novelty possibilities uh and we've seen a lot of that actually with some of the level designs that were showed off at e3 there was a adventure of oh, Link yeah. level um that was the only one i really saw people play i'm sure there were others um, well, there was the Nintendo one. World Championships one where they had the conveyor belts that made you go super fast. Oh, yeah. That'd be fun with so, Sonic. Yeah. Um, yeah, so lots of potential for, for cool crossover level ideas. Um, yeah. The Animal Crossing Amiibo cards are available now in Japan, and they are facing serious stock shortages. A lot, of people, are, <laughs> a lot of people are having their orders canceled, which is a bit of a shock because Japan had for so long... Uh, they had the fewest stock issues with the Amiibo figures. Yeah, but, um, but the thing about the Ami- Amiibo figures is they weren't Animal Crossing figures. They weren't for 3DS. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, It's totally different to have an Animal Crossing 3DS Amiibo in Japan than a Smash Bros. Wii U Amiibo. Well, the, the figurine Amiibo are compatible with the 3DS, to be fair, but it is certainly true that I don't think anyone uses them for 3DS. No. Another thing to consider is that, um, uh, with the exception of the Splatoon Amiibo, the uh, Amiibo in general have sold pretty poorly in Japan compared to the rest of the world. It's only something like, I think, 9% of their total Amiibo have been sold in Japan versus over 60% for the U.S. And, you know, they said a big part of that is because the Toys to Life craze didn't take off over there with Skylanders and Disney Infinity like it did here. So Japanese gamers aren't going to be that interested in going out and buying a... uh, an NFC-enabled figurine, but a card's a different thing. You know, they're a little mm-hmm. more used to collecting cards and things like that. Right. So, you know, like Alex said, Animal Crossing is insanely popular in Japan, and then card collecting is also right. more popular than figurine collecting. So it's just a, a perfect storm of reasons why these were going to sell better, and Nintendo apparently did not prepare for that. Right. And I guess that's the thing that's not a shock. <laughs> <laughs> Since Itaro Iwata's passing, Shigeru Miyamoto and Genyo Takeda have been running the company until a new CEO is chosen, and many consider these two to be the top two candidates for the job, the permanent job. Some industry analysts have weighed in on this subject, and they believe that Takeda, not Miyamoto, will take over as CEO. They say based on their comparative corporate experience, where Takeda has more experience with hardware and the business side of the industry, whereas Miyamoto is really their lead creative, not their lead visionary and manager. I definitely think if they're going to go with an inside hire, then I think that's the right move because, you know, I've said before, I think Miyamoto is just a wonderful game creator, but the more you have him in charge of executive decisions, A, I think it's it's bad business-wise for Nintendo, and B, I think it's bad software-wise too because the more time he's devoted to making, you know, hardware decisions or business partner decisions, the less time he has getting his hands involved in games, and he's... He's created or, you know, helped guide the creators of some of the greatest games ever made. So I, I think it would be a mistake for Nintendo to put that much executive power in Miyamoto's hands and take away that much more time from him in software development. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And looking at, at Takeda specifically, uh, you know, obviously his big resume builder is the that he was the big driving force behind hardware design at the time of Wii. I've never actually heard this story before until today when I was kind of looking him up. But one of his his ideas behind developing Wii was, you know, he was looking at the console power race and how, it would, you know, you double the power, but gamers really want three times the power. And is that really sustainable? So his his thought was, well, what, how, how do they do it with cars? You have performance cars, and then you have the family-friendly, fuel-efficient cars. And it tur- as it turns out, the family-friendly, fuel-efficient cars have a much bigger market than the performance cars. So that was kind of how they approached Wii development, was they weren't going to make a high-performance console. They were going to make a you know, family-friendly, 
what mm-hmm. it needs to be console. And he was apparently saying stuff like that within the company as early as 2002. So that's before GameCube was tanking. That's before, uh, you know, you really saw Nintendo starting to make moves in that direction. So he's definitely got the business sense down. But as far as, you know, you know, advocating for what users need, you also have on the flip side, uh, he was the guy who introduced battery back saves uh, in cartridges. So, you know, the first game to Way back that was Legend of Zelda. And, you know, obviously we've seen how that's changed the way games are designed since then. Uh, so he's not just a hardware guy. He's really practical when it comes to implementing stuff that will benefit people on the software side, too. The one thing I am concerned about, and I am absolutely with both of you there, um, I think Takeda is the much better choice. The one thing I am concerned about is I feel like Miyamoto has such a legendary reputation that Nintendo may be tempted to uh, make him the true face of the company. And that may or may not be a bad thing. Just because he basically already is the face of the company. Right. You can smell his influence all over everything they've done in the last five years in particular. Right. But I just worry that, well, for better or for worse, we know how Sticker Star turned out. Oh, sure. (laughs) Mostly for Um, worse. But I think that that is something that Nintendo may be very drawn to because of that. And I I just hope that they're not because I I do completely agree that Miyamoto uh, would be the wrong choice for a CEO because basically of the reasons that Ben laid out. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, aside from just Miyamoto sort of being, you know, the face of the company and then maybe wanting to solidify that uh, Nintendo's also very very bureaucratic and very they very much have sort of a hierarchy. So I Right. I could it's see not Miyamoto... even that much about celebrity. Right. It's about... You could get in almost just because, you know, he's you know, he's put in like 35 years into the company. He's he's mm-hmm. had his hand in so many things that it's almost like he's earned it. But you know, at the end of the day, I feel like your CEO shouldn't be chose based on who's quote unquote earned it, but rather who is going to be the right person to lead you for the future. What you've done in the past is great, but Nintendo needs to focus on adjusting and moving forward into the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I could see a couple pluses to it, though. Like, for example, it'd be a good chance for him to exit his current role in software development, which I know is something he's been talking about being impending for a long time. Um, and, you know, this is obviously a major, like, Nintendo-shattering sort of event that could be a good catalyst for that. I don't know. And then on the flip side, especially since uh, the with the jam Nintendo's in right now in terms of uh, struggling with their business, they really need corporate morale to be high. And I think Miyamoto, as a sort of inspirational figure, as someone who can really rally the company, from that perspective, he would be a good choice. But, uh, yeah, I totally agree with you guys that he's not a business-minded guy. Uh, and you know he might surround himself with business-minded people and do okay, but uh, it, 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 it's hard to say what they need right now. Uh, but they definitely need business acumen somewhere. New patents give us our first look at Nintendo's quality of life device, uh, the first one at least. It's all pretty vague and very conceptual, but it looks like the idea is that it would be a docking station for your smartphone or tablet. You'd put it by your bedstand to monitor your breathing and other information while you sleep. Uh, it would be able to project images onto the ceiling. What those images might be, we have no idea. Um, And it would have some sort of connectivity to the Wii balance board. We don't have much information on what it will actually do, but it is a neat glimpse at their idea, and you can check it out at Gamnesia.com if you'd like to see those pictures and a little bit more of that information. Yeah, so, uh, you know, I assume this is the the same thing that they sort of talked about a few months ago, where it'll monitor, you know, your sleeping patterns, you know, Mm -hmm. how you... How you breathe, how deep of a sleep you get into, what the room conditions yeah. are, and then just sort of 
feedback data to you to help you learn how to sleep better, I guess. I'm a, I'm a little curious as to why they would want to spend the extra, you know, time and resources to make it able to project on the ceiling if it's going to be compatible with smartphones and things. <laughs> I don't know why you can't just have the readout on the phone. I mean, don't get me wrong, it's kind of cool for it to project on the ceiling, but I don't know if it's very practical. If, but, it's, a, know, we, if it's something you use in bed, I could totally get it. Yeah, It, it takes yeah. more effort to lean over and look at your phone than it does to just look at the ceiling. I could also imagine, especially uh, Alex, you mentioned a couple episodes ago that you think a lot of their quality of life push is going to be for Japan's aging population. Uh, that whole boom of people who are getting to be seniors yeah. and pretty elderly at this point. Yeah. Uh, you know, just being able to lie in bed and, and, and look at it from the ceiling is going to be a lot easier on them than than having to uh, hunch over and, and, you know, move to, to check out their smartphone. Uh, you know, they can wake up in the morning and just there, it, it'll be right there. Unfortunately, since eyes. we only really have any details about like, you know, sort of what it physically looks like and the bare basics of what it does, we haven't gotten into uh, the meat of it that I'm interested in, which is how they've talked about taking their expertise and getting people sort of hooked on video games and making people want to come back and play every day right. and applying that to fitness in a way that makes you want to use your fitness device. Well, not day. just fitness, but also, but you know, uh, health, health in general, living. quality right. of life. Right. So yeah, um, that's, that's 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 really the part that I'm interested in, and unfortunately, that's the part that we know nothing about. Well, and perhaps the whole idea of projecting images on the ceiling is a clue that maybe using these things is going to be more passive than perhaps we're used to with with games. Uh, but at the same time, the benefits and sort of the the experience of interacting with it may in some way resemble kind of what they've done with with like brain training, for example, or uh, or we fit. Um, mm-hmm. But there's, there has been a big push toward passively integrating as much uh, quality of life sorts of tech improvements into your life as possible. So maybe that that's the direction that they're going. Nintendo and Mattel are teaming up to create Mario-themed Hot Wheels for Mario's 30th anniversary. They've got cars based on the original Mario 2, Mario 3, Mario World, uh, Dr. Mario, and Super Mario Kart. What's interesting about this to me is A, that they're doing pretty much exclusively really old games, and B, that they're teaming up with a brand that's pretty much exclusively really old and not really relevant anymore. Well, I think that speaks a lot to the target audience, because uh, Hot Wheels is not... I mean, they market it to children, but it's not It's not a product for children anymore. It's a product for people like my age who collected them as a kid and might still be collecting them today. Perhaps, uh, yeah. Incidentally, the same people who play, probably played Super Mario Brothers, Super Mario Brothers 2 when they were growing up. Uh, so I, I think that's deliberate that the, it seems like these two products that just don't matter anymore kind of coming together. Uh, what interests me or what I find kind of funny about these is that um, when I first saw the boxes, I could not tell they were Hot Wheels. They just looked like some kind of way that they were using the old box artwork from those old games. And I was like, what is this exactly? And it took me a while to to, to find out the Hot Wheel car on the actual product box. Yeah, same here. Um I was like, what are they what are they bringing these box arts back for? And yeah, it's a it's a Hot Wheel. I just think it's funny that that this old box art is still iconic enough that it's able to be so prominently displayed on a product and that's the thing I notice. I don't notice the product itself. <laughs> a report comes in from MVC that Nintendo is preparing to launch their own version of Loot Crate. The it's a popular subscription service where uh you sign up, once a month they send you a little box full of like gaming or nerdy goodies. Uh, little like toys or like little collectible trinkets. Um, so Nintendo is planning to do their own version called Nbox, 
this isn't confirmed. It's just, you know, it's it's one reported source. But, you know, we've been hearing so much about them trying to capitalize on their IP, trying to capitalize on their markets. So, you know, this this would work really well with a new merchandising strategy. And also with the, the new membership service that they've been sort of touting for a right. while. I mean, obviously, right. it wouldn't be a, you register for the membership service and you get a box. You have to you have to pay for a subscription on top of that. But it should right. definitely be linked with whatever membership service they put out. Absolutely. And I'm thinking they could do something, too, where, like, uh, you know, if you're registered as a member, you can get a different, maybe, like, maybe a different kind of box. Not, not that has completely different contents, but has, like, a couple of extra things in addition to the non-premium version. Right. Maybe depending on uh, what, what games you buy or something like that. Well, right, maybe something like that, or maybe like, uh, you know, every month they could have a shirt or something. Bonuses, bonuses like that seem to make some sense to me as, as sort of a premium version to tie in with the membership system. Right. Yeah, I mean, at this point we can only speculate because this is a rumor of a thing that we haven't really heard about before. Right, right. And as always, to conclude our news segments, we are bringing you a lightning round with little nuggets of information. If you want to read more about any of the stories we discussed above or anything you hear in the upcoming lightning round, you can check them out at Gamnesia.com. The latest podcast episode will show in the scrolling feature bar at the top of the site, and on that page, you can see all these links. On August 5th, that Splatoon massive content update launches, uh, and August 3rd beforehand, uh, maintenance is happening on Urchin Underpass. This week, a few things launched. The newly redesigned Miiverse, Zeo Drifter on Wii U, which is free if you've already got the 3DS version, and The Binding of Isaac Rebirth on Wii U and 3DS. Super Mario Maker will have several bundles in Europe and Australia, so you, you know, if you want the Amiibo, if you want the game in the Amiibo, if you want Wii U, the game in the Amiibo, there's a lot of options. Mario Maker's art book comes as a PDF for those who buy the game digitally, so you won't miss out. Nintendo has launched a nostalgic trailer for Mario Maker, highlighting some favorite moments from past games and remixing them in fun ways. You can check out the winning cake from the Mario-themed episode of Cake Wars. Fire Emblem Fates is getting a manga series. Fire Emblem Fates is getting more DLC as well, including content from Fire Emblem Awakening. Smashified shows us how Bomberman would look in Super Smash Bros. A South African retailer, the same ones who leaked uh, the fact that the Splatoon amiibo existed, are listing the Mewtwo amiibo's release date as October 23rd. Nine minutes of footage have surfaced for the Luigi's Mansion arcade game in Japan. Tamodachi Life is getting a Dutch translation this October, which may or may not be a new version of the game that they uh, sort of distribute to other owners. Devil's Third features microtransactions on Wii U. Hyperkin is making new Wii U controllers inspired by the GameCube. All Crunchyroll members, even non-premium ones, can now access the streaming service on Wii U. So if you want to watch a ton of anime and you don't want to pay money for it, you can still watch it on Wii U. Uh, You just, you know, ads, as always. Nintendo is shutting down the Wii U's Nintendo TV service next month. Nintendo won a patent lawsuit against 3DS, Game Boy Advance, and a bunch of other handhelds. Sega is not planning to release any more 3D classic games, like Sonic the Hedgehog, Streets of Rage, etc. There are creepy sounds in Splatoon's final battle that the director didn't even know about. Player Piano has performed an amazing Super Mario medley on an NES-themed piano. We're going to show you a little glimpse of that music as the outro music this week, but you should also be sure to head to Gamnesia, check out the YouTube video of the performance. It's really amazing stuff, lots of really cool Mario effects, and the NES piano is awesome. Wii U has eclipsed 10 million sales, finally. Splatoon, meanwhile, has sold 1.6 million units, which makes it the highest-selling Wii U game that doesn't have Mario in it, which is hugely significant, especially for a new IP. Meanwhile, Amiibo have sold about 14.5 million units, which means that they have sold nearly 1.5 times as many units as Wii U in less than a quarter of the time. 
A modder made Krom playable in Super Smash Bros. for Wii U. The outcome of private battles does not affect your rank in Splatoon. Project Giant Robot is back on Nintendo's upcoming releases list. It was gone for a little while, so people wondered if it was still in development, but uh, now it's back. Release date is still TBD. And finally, there is someone on YouTube reimagining Nintendo IP in Unreal Engine 4 by porting the models and textures and everything into Unreal Engine. Really cool. We already showed you Mario in the lightning round in one episode, and I believe Sonic maybe, uh, but he's also recently done The Legend of Zelda, as well as Deku Scrub from Majora's Mask, uh, Pokemon, Kirby, and even like a whole demo with a bunch of these characters all in one video. It's really cool stuff, so you should check him out. So everybody, thank you so much for listening. This is the end of Nintendo week for today. Again, uh, we'll be back uh, next Wednesday, normal time, with another episode. Um, if you like this podcast, please subscribe to us on iTunes or subscribe to us on YouTube at Gamnesia TV for bite-sized discussions from the show. And please head to iTunes to leave us a review. It really helps with visibility, so we greatly appreciate it, especially if you have good things to say instead of bad ones. If you have feedback for Nintendo Week, please send it to Colin at Gamnesia.com. And remember to send in your questions about Nintendo, about our show. We love engaging with you guys, and we read them and talk about them here on the show, so it's a great way to get involved. Again, that's Colin at Gamnesia.com, C-O-L-I-N at Gamnesia.com. If you can't wait till next week for more of our stuff, you can head to Gamnesia.com to see more gaming news as it happens. We've got Sony, Microsoft, Indie, you name it, and even Nintendo news that we didn't have the time to discuss on this week's show. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you have another great four days.